morning journey. Um, Brian Van Epps. I've got to take my shot as well. I don't have uh, any quips about you being 40 because I am much older than you. I don't have a song and I don't have a birthday cake. Uh, but brother, what I have is just a very grateful heart for you. Um, I'm grateful for years of friendship and this last year of you being in and around our staff and on our team has been an absolute delight. You bring so much to who we are. Uh, I just want to say thank you. Um, I want to finish ministry well, and I want to finish it with you. Those are things that I want to ask the Lord for. I just, I, I love you that much, and I just wanted to at least take a shot and tell you that. I always get emotional, and then I have to preach. I love you back. Around this time of year, uh, Christmas, we start to sing songs about the manger. We start to think about this manger scene. And when we sing these songs, they're oftentimes paint this picture that everything was warm and it was cozy. It was calm, peaceful, joy, stable. We sing songs like, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Could there be a more serene picture than that? What about silent night, holy night? All is calm, all is bright. Round you and virgin, mother and child, holy infant so tender and mild. Sleep in heavenly peace. Sleep in heavenly peace. Calm. Peace, stable. Not everything was stable around the manger scene. Brian last week talked about how there was some social instability. This is a teenage, unwed mother that's going to give birth to the Messiah. Social stigma, unstable. And when Jesus came into the world, things were politically unstable. There were lots of people that didn't even know that this had happened, that the king of the Jews was born in a manger in Bethlehem. But for those who did, a very few of them, this was a threat. This was an absolute threat to them, and it made them unstable. And there was no one that was more unstable about the birth of Jesus than King Herod, because Jesus was a threat to Herod. And if there was ever an unstable king that walked this earth, it was Herod. History tells us that he was one of the most ruthless and violent rulers that ever lived. Herod had 10 wives, and with these 10 wives, he had multiple children throughout his life. As some of these sons would rise up and challenge his throne, you know what Herod did to those sons? He killed him. Caesar Augustus one time funnily, funnily, funny, humorously, humor, I'll say humorously, humorously said that you're better off being one of Herod's pigs than being one of his sons. There's probably a less chance of being slaughtered. Herod, he had a death grip on that throne in Jerusalem and he wasn't gonna give it up to anybody, and not a baby in Bethlehem. 
And as we start into Matthew chapter two, we see that things in a very hurry get very unstable. Matthew chapter two, starting in verse one. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, disturbed, unstable, and all Jerusalem with him. The Magi, they come into the palace of this unstable king and they ask the one question you should never ask this king. Where's the new king? Because here's what Herod knows. Here's how thrones work. Any kind of throne. When you are on the throne, you are in the place of the ultimate authority. You get to call all the shots. Everybody does what you tell them to do. There's only room for one king on a throne. So you can see when the Magi come in and they ask that simple question, where is this newborn king of the Jews? It sets off alarm bells in the mind of Herod because he knows that there's no way that he's gonna scooch over and say, hey, little baby Jesus, I'll just share this throne with you. Herod's not gonna do it. He knows that if Jesus becomes king of the Jews, that means that he is not the king of the Jews any longer. And this made him unstable. And here's Herod's response. When the Magi come and they say, we want to find this king because we want to worship him, Herod says, yes, absolutely. You go find this king. And when you find him, you come back and tell me where he is because I want to worship him too. Not exactly. So the Magi go, they find Jesus. And this is where we see this serene scene of them at the manger of Jesus, bringing their gold and their frankincense and their myrrh, honoring him, worshiping him. But when they leave this serene scene, they realize that, they've, that they are not gonna go back. They're not gonna go back to Herod. They're gonna outwit him. They go a different way home. And when Herod finds out that they've tricked him, he becomes furious, unstable. And he says, what I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna make sure that this king doesn't last. I'm gonna have every little boy, two years old and younger, in Bethlehem and in the whole vicinity, killed so that my throne is not challenged. Unstable. So you see that beautiful little scene that we sing about. It's so calm, it's so peaceful. Comfort and joy. Everything surrounding it at the time that Jesus was born was unstable. But here's what's interesting. It wasn't just Herod that was threatened by the birth of Jesus. The religious leaders in Jerusalem were also threatened by the birth of Jesus. And here's what Matthew does. There was one little phrase that I read, and I'm gonna go back and read it again, because Matthew tips his hand. He starts to show us some cards at the very beginning of his book. He wants us to kind of understand the plot line of what's gonna unfold 
as the life of Jesus unfolds. Here's what Matthew said, again, in verse three. He said, when Herod heard this, that question about the newborn king, it says he was disturbed. And listen to this phrase, and all Jerusalem with him. What's Matthew trying to help us understand? When he says all Jerusalem, Jerusalem was the center of the political world at that point for the nation of Israel, but it was also the center of the religious world. And here's what the religious leaders began to understand. Even though they understood Herod was unstable, he was also in authority. And they began to understand if if we can kind of cozy up to the throne, even though we don't like the person that's in authority, we like what they can do for us. So the fact that this birth of a new king might make Herod unstable made them threatened also by the birth of Jesus. And Matthew is giving us some foreshadowing of what's gonna happen in the life of Jesus. Not only is he gonna come up against the Roman government, but he's gonna come up against the religious authorities all throughout his life. And isn't that just the opposite of what you would expect? Would not you expect that the religious leaders, thinking that the Messiah was gonna come to rescue them from Rome, would be the ones looking for them, looking for him, wanting to honor him. But no, Matthew sets it up early. It's gonna be Rome and it's gonna be the religious leaders that are ultimately gonna bring Jesus to his death. This is a theme throughout Matthew's book, this theme of the threat of the birth of Jesus. And I was just thinking, why is this theme so important to Matthew? Why does he start out his book helping everybody understand that's reading this, the threat that Jesus was? Here's what I believe is true. What Matthew wants us to know, he wants us to understand that the birth of Jesus is also a threat to you. The birth of Jesus is a threat to me. Because here's what's true, friends. Herod is not the only one that has a throne. Friends, you have a throne as well. And so do I. Every one of us has a throne. And do you know who you want sitting on your throne? You want you sitting on your throne. And you know who I want sitting on my throne? Yeah, you guessed it. I want to be sitting on my throne. What the Bible tells us is that at the core of every human heart is a heart that wants to be at the center of their life, wants to be on the throne, that will say to the world, nobody tells me what to do. You've seen this with kids, haven't you? If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. If you've watched people with kids. You know what I'm talking about. Kids, when they are tiny, they exert their will. You will not tell me what to do. They want to be the center of the... I remember coming home sometimes and my kids were just flipping out and I'm just thinking like, Carmen, what are you teaching them when I'm gone? (laughs) You don't have to teach people this. It comes to us naturally. And now culture... And training, we can do some things to try to hide the fact that this exists in our heart. We can deny that it's there. We can do everything we can to try to cover it up. 
But all the education in the world, all the therapy in the world is not going to eradicate it from our life. The Bible tells us that we are naturally bent away from God. That's every one of our hearts. And the Bible also tells us that that's the problem in the world. We like to point the fingers and say, the problem in the world is out there. It's in the hearts of other people. Friends, the problem is in our heart as well. Because naturally, we come into this world self-centered, self-righteous, self-absorbed. We want to be on the throne of our life. We want the world to orbit around us. We don't naturally come into this world and say, I want to love and serve God. I want to love and serve other people. No, we want to be served. We want others to love us. That's how we come into this world naturally, and that's how we stay, unless God does something in our heart supernaturally. This is where Matthew starts. He wants us to understand that in every one of us, I don't care how great you think you are, in every one of us, there's a little King Herod that says, I want to be on the throne. And if anything challenges my omnipotence and my sovereignty over my life, I'm not going to stand for it. I'm going to push back. The birth of Jesus' friends, this king in Bethlehem, 2,000 years later, it's a threat to you. And it's a threat to me. So let's just imagine, if we can, that someone walks into your palace right now. And by that, I mean, they walk into your life and they ask you the question, who's the king? Who's the king on your, in your life? Is that question gonna disturb you in any way? Who is actually on the throne of your life? If you were just gut level honest, who's on the throne of your life? Is it you? Or is it him? Who is on the throne of your life? And this was what makes Christmas so threatening to Herod, so threatening to the religious leaders, and so threatening to us. If this is true, if God came, if the king came into this world in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, he has the right to govern your life. No matter what you think, he has the right to govern your life. But can we just think a little bit about how? How he came into the world. Not coming as a conquering king in great power and authority. But he shows up to us as the king, the rightful king, in humility and in humanity. The God of the universe in frailty came to us. We need to understand this tells us something about the heart of God and what he is like as the king, what he wants to be as the king in your life. At the climax of his life and ministry, he did not ascend to a throne. He ascended to a cross to die for you to pay a penalty for you that wasn't his. He paid it 
for you. He didn't get a crown of gold. He got a crown of thorns. That's the heart of God. He comes to us in that way, in frailty, in humanity, and in humility, dies in our place and says, if you trust me, you can be reconciled to me. I will destroy evil without having to destroy you for eternity. He took our punishment. So where does that bring us? Where does that bring us today? Where does that bring you? If there is peace and joy and comfort and stability around the manger, it's this, that because of how the king came, he says to you, I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done in this life. I don't care what is in your background. I don't care how many skeletons you have in your closet. I don't care how many secrets there are in your past. How badly you think you've messed up. If you repent. And when I say repent, I just mean if you truly take yourself off of the throne of your life and you're willing to put me as your savior on the throne of your life, I will accept you. I will call you my child and I will work in your life. You might be thinking, no, not me. You don't know. Yes, you. He's been doing it all throughout history. He's been doing it for all of humanity. He's done that for us. So the question is, what are we gonna do? Who is on your throne? Do you like Herod? Do you have a death grip on the throne and the authority of your life, unwilling to surrender that, to give that to anybody other than yourself? Who is your king? Is Jesus on the throne of your life? Now, the next thing I'm going to say, I want to preface it with this. This doesn't come from a heart of judgment, but I will say this comes from a heart of concern. I think that most people and most churches, if you ask them, are you following Jesus? They would throw their hand up in the air and just say, absolutely, I'm following Jesus. I'm not so sure. I think sometimes, rather than us giving up the throne of, their, of our life and putting Jesus on the throne, we just simply invite Jesus to follow us in our life, to do the things that we want him to do for us. He doesn't have the throne. He's like a, a passenger in our car. He's not the driver. We don't let him play with the radio station. Jesus came not to ride shotgun in your life. He came to be your king. And I'm gonna say it again. If Christmas is true, if God came to us in this way, he's got the right to govern your life. He has that authority. But you have to give him 
that authority. There's not a better word that I can think of than the simple word surrender. If I were to do everything in me to encourage you with a a slogan that we've kind of had around this series, this keep calm, is just keep calm and simply surrender. Make him your king. Surrender your life to him. But what do you mean surrender? What do you mean by surrender? What does surrender even mean? By definition, surrender means that Jesus demands our full devotion. Surrender means it's simply dethroning ourselves from the throne, the control center, the authority of our life, and giving that authority to Jesus in every way. It's saying, Jesus, you've got veto power on anything in my life. You have the right to govern my life. It's about surrendering all of who we are to all of who he is in his fullness and in his glory. Surrender means it's just this simple recognition that we have that every second that we've got in this life, every penny that we have in this life, every ounce of energy, every breath that God gives us for this life belongs to him and we give it back to him. We surrender by saying we are going all in. We're pushing all of our chips to the middle. We're gonna go all in and we're gonna go all out because Jesus, you are the all in all. Everything belongs to you. The king has come. The king came. He's worthy. He is worthy of our full surrender of our life. Keep calm and simply surrender. What about your life? Where's that? If you you just step back for a minute, again, and and we're just really honest, looked across the landscape of your life, how you're living your life, what you're doing with the things that have been entrusted to you, your time, your money, your plans, your hopes, your dreams, your future, your sex life, your thought life. What are you doing to reach out to the marginalized in this world, the relationships in your life? If you just looked at those and evaluated those in your life, whose agenda are you on? Are those marked by Jesus being on the throne of your life or you being on the throne of your life? Is it his agenda or is it yours? The king came and he's worthy of our full surrender. But we also need to know this. The king is coming again. And this time, friends, it won't be subtle. It won't be quiet. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess the majesty, the greatness of who he is. And he will take the throne forever. And he'll take that throne with everyone who in this life bowed their knee to him and made him the king of their life. 
Can I ask you this? If you knew, if you knew that the king was coming tomorrow, how would you feel today? Would you feel anxious? Would you feel afraid? Unprepared? Maybe a little bit unstable? Take those fears. Take those anxieties. Take that unpreparedness and take it to the cross and make him your king. Surrender to him today. Let me ask it another way. If you knew, if you knew that you knew that you knew that Jesus was coming tomorrow, what would you do? Would you do anything differently? If the answer to that is yes, then do that today. Live your life in a way that if you knew that he was coming tomorrow, you wouldn't have to change your plans. Make him your king today. One of those famous prophetic passages about this Christmas story, we sing this, Handel's Messiah, Isaiah chapter nine, verse six. Prophetically speaking, it says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Is that who he is for you today? Is he your Wonderful Counselor? Is he the one that you've given as the counselor of your life? The one to guide and to direct everything in your life? Is he your mighty God? Is he the one that you trust? In the midst of the instability and the chaos, is he the one that you grab a hold of his hand? You don't know what the future holds, but you've got your hand in the hand of the one who holds the future. Is he your mighty God? Is he your eternal father? Your forever dad? Do you feel that about him? That you just know that you know that forever I'm his child. I belong to him. Is he your prince of peace? Did he bring peace to you that day on the cross when he stretched out his hands and died in your place? so that you could be reconciled to God. Is he your prince of peace? If you don't know, if you don't know the answer to that question, I'm gonna do something here in a minute. I want you to think, do I want to give this king the throne of my life? And if you wonder, have I ever done that? Or if you wonder, I feel like I may have done that, but I've walked away from that. I wanna give you an opportunity to re-up with the king today, to put him on the throne again. As we wrap things up here, I'm gonna pray in just a handful of seconds. And if that's your heart, I just want you to pray along with me in the quietness of your heart. I pray there's nothing magical about any of these words that I'm gonna say, but it's an opportunity for you to say, I'm done. I'm done being on the throne of my life. And Jesus I believe that you came 2,000 years ago and you are my king.
Jesus, I know that I need you. I know that before you, I am a sinner and I'm broken. And apart from you, I have no hope. Today, I want to put you in the rightful place in my life. I want you to be my wonderful counselor. I want you to be the one that guides and directs my steps. Not me, not the world around me, not the culture. I want it to be you. Jesus, be my wonderful counselor. I want you to be my mighty God. And when I say that, I say, God, you have the right to rule my life. Anything that you say goes. I bow before you. You are my mighty God. You're my eternal, everlasting Father. Thank you that when I surrender to you, when I lay my life at your feet, that you become my father forever and I become your child. You are my dad, my Abba. Thank you that you accomplished that for me. And Jesus, thank you that you are the Prince of Peace. It's your shed blood in my place to pay the penalty for my sin that reconciles me, that brings me into a right relationship with you. Jesus, I throw myself at your feet today. I put you on the rightful place of the throne of my life. Jesus, it's in your powerful and resurrected and kingly name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.